Hey, and welcome back to season two. And so today we're going to be talking really more about my background, my history, um, and, and how I how I grew. Originally, I was going to break this up into the interview where we are going to be looking at both Morris and I kind of at the same time as we grew, where we, our backgrounds, where we came from, and how we ended up at the same restaurant. Um, but the more I kind of listened and started looking at these things, it was like, man, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. So we're going to go ahead and drop these episodes separately. Um, just to make sure we can do each its own justice without just editing the shit out of it and turning it into something it's not. Uh, you guys listen to this because it's more raw and creating something super edited is not something that I want to do um, or something I think you want to listen to. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We're here with uh, Chef Morris. And today's session, if you will, episodes, um, Morris is going to grill me. <laughs> it's not really a grilling. It's just uh, we'll compare and contrast our paths as chefs, I think. Okay, that works. Compare and contrast. Um and yeah, the different perspectives. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about that last week where it was definitely much more old school in a lot of ways. Um, it served me well for a long time. It got me into plenty of trouble as well, um, especially as my career progressed and there were more and more bitches coming into the kitchen. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the females. They were much mm -hmm. stronger. I will tell you, 100%. I, I would rather have an all-female kitchen than some of the all-male kitchens I've had is less drama. I mean, they were there to fucking work and they were kicked ass. Um, some of the guys are just fucking little dramatic assholes. They were, they were my bitches. They were the dramatic bitches. So I need to clear that up before I got in fucking trouble on that one. So Morris, take it away. Well, We've known each other for, I don't know, six years or so, maybe seven, somewhere in there. Okay. Sounds about right. I know that you grew up in Southern California, and I know that you worked in Dallas at mostly seafood restaurants. Everything else about your career is a fucking mystery to me, and I know you personally. So let's dive into that a little bit. Where did you come from, and how did you get here? Where did I come from? I came from the shadows. <laughs> um, yeah, having my voice a little jacked up, is uh, that worked pretty well there, huh? Um, <laughs> so I came from Southern California, uh, born and raised Southern California, Orange County. Um, and uh, no, I didn't surf. No, I didn't skateboard. Uh, I did spend plenty of time on the beach. Um, I would frequently ditch high school and go hang out at the beach. Um, and, and that's something that was possible there because in high schools, a lot of high schools back then um, were open campuses. You can drive on, drive off whenever you want. 
Um, and uh, so it was it was good and bad. <laughs> um, and I was working for In and Out at the time, and I was enjoying working um, a hell of a lot more than I was enjoying going to school. Uh, school well, school was always busy work for me. Did your family? Was there any like? Is it like a foodie kind of a family? No, no. Um, you know, my grandmother was in charge of the catering at her church. Um, you know, my mom and my aunt at one point did some catering, um, very small scale kind of thing. Um, but at no point were anyone, anybody in my family, were they really involved in cooking. Okay. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, after high school, I was still working in and out. I just didn't give a shit. I was having a fun time. Um, everybody else is doing their own thing. And my cousin, uh, who uh, he's been on the show, Jeff, uh, mentioned going to culinary school. And then at that point, something just snapped. Like that light bulb, it didn't come on all the way, but the dimmer hit switch. Someone hit the dimmer switch, you know, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, there's something there. Um and it was just like, okay. And I started exploring it. And the more I dug into it, the more it was like, this is kind of cool. And this was late 90s, I want to say. 97, right? Is about probably when I started digging into it. Um, and I, I looked at several schools, whether it's the CIA. Um, there was a school in Arizona. Um, I don't remember what it was called. And then... Um, I ended up going to California Culinary Academy in San Francisco. It was downtown. And this was before it was bought by Le Cordon Bleu. And so, and that, that was cool. Uh, living in downtown San Francisco for a little over a year was was pretty badass. Um, man. Um, sorry, I was just like, hearing noises. I'm like, what is that? Um and and so living downtown San Francisco, going to school in this old old building um, with just French and Austrian chefs uh, and a couple Germans thrown in there just for fun, and um, yeah, it was just it was the time of my life. I mean, it's I I absolutely hated school in every traditional form because um, I learn quickly and I apply what I learn quickly. Right. And I could not figure out for the fucking life of me what I was learning in high school had zero application on what I was doing in my everyday life. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so it was just like, what the fuck is the point of this? But so when I got into a culinary school and it was intense, it was, um, just, I mean, an intense and large volume of knowledge just being fucking shoved down your throat. And it was like, either retain it and move on and do well, or you don't and you fail and you go back and do it again. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure to stay with your class. Right. And so every week to two weeks you go to your new class. And so it wasn't like a college curriculum where you have, Hey, today at three o'clock, we're doing 
French and then, oh, but it, whatever, you didn't bounce around. Like there was two sessions at the campus. There's the morning and then the evening sessions, um, you know, and you just rotated, you know, uh, some semesters, it was the morning, some there were nights. And, but for eight, nine hours a day, that's all you did. You took one lunch break or dinner break, and then that's it. And it was just, you just did nothing but execute or learn the theories. And then, um, and I just fucking loved it. I, I took it all in and I was like, this is it for me. And I found, you know, it was one of those, I excelled and I'm like, okay, this is cool. I can do this. So now that's kind of where I ended up after school. All right. What about uh, first jobs in like kitchens that were, you know, not like in and out? Um, probably. So I, I did bounce around. I, I worked at a couple places in San Francisco, uh, just very short term, um, doing some stage kind of things. Um, nothing of any um, importance or, or note. But it was just there to kind of get some experience. Um, and then uh, Northern Arizona, I ended up going to NAU, Northern Arizona University, after culinary school. Because I'm like, okay, I found something here. There's something. And I was like, well, I should probably follow this up with a more bachelor's-based degree. Because I also found that I was very good at not just the cooking side of things, but the financial side of things as well. Um, you know, as most people are a lot of chefs out there are great chefs, great cooks, but when it comes to managing numbers and, and all that stuff, they're just, they, they know fucking nothing. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because it's a huge part of the business. Um, sometimes it's too much, but, um, Hey, if there's no money in the bank, you can't buy shit. You can't fucking operate. Um, but anyway, so and I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. And NAU kind of worked out okay, but same thing turned into this. Like, this is doing nothing for me. I'm paying you guys to teach me something that I already know. And I'm going to work over here. And it was a brew pub. Um, and working 40 plus hours a week over there while taking a full load at school. And, and I was breezing through school. But... I was getting paid to learn in the restaurant. Right. And I'm like, so why am I going to school again thing? Like, you know, and I was like, okay. So I, I, I finished that off. I didn't end up, I didn't get the, um, the degree, but it was just like, okay, I'm just going to stick with that. And, um, I was, uh, I started there just as a cook. Um, and grew to like, I guess it would be the equivalent of a Sioux pretty quickly. Um, but this was also, this is a smaller college town and 99% of the cooks that were there were college kids, right. That just didn't have the charisma to be in the dining room. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I became Sue, not just because of work ethic and all that stuff, but also because it was like, okay, you're not really going anywhere anytime soon. So, um, and then from there I ended up in, back in California, um, Southern California, um, and 
did a couple of different things there. I actually worked as a, a front of the house for a while just to kind of get some money. Um, and um, I hated serving. I hated it. I could do it. I was all right with it, but I just hated it. Um, but uh, and then I did a job where it was weird. Um, it was like real housewives of Orange County kind of shit. And and honestly, I think she was on the show too when it when it finally came into that area, or her husband had some software company or something, just tons of money, and so he bought her a restaurant so she would have something to do. Oh, that's okay. uh, all right. I mean, and it was a ground up construction, and they had someone that they knew that was helping them. But they also hired a consultant. And so I worked with the consultant, got to know him pretty well, and, and we had a pretty good relationship. And um and I will never forget this one. Uh we were handed a manila folder with just tear outs from magazines of recipes. And and it's like, this is our menu. And I was like, oh. Um and and so we covered the walk-in in uh, parchment paper, right? And then just put and just drew a bunch of fucking squares. And then the titles of all the recipes. And then just me and a couple other guys would then go through and then work on scaling those recipes into like professional recipes. And like, okay, this works. This doesn't. Because it's like, you, you don't go and it's like, you're, you're making something. You're like, okay, I need a cup of butter. What the fuck is a cup of butter? Um, yeah, yeah, so, but also just, uh, because as you know, too, when you go to scale things and can scale spices, um, they, they don't always scale the same way. Um, yeah. and, but I, there was this one recipe, it was like some kind of shrimp dish and the way they described it versus what the recipe was written, like we could never get it right because we never knew what the finished dish was supposed to be. And they would try to tell us and we would try to execute and we were executing what they were saying, but it was always wrong. And they would come back all the time. We're like, what the fuck is this? And this, and I was like, and, but nobody's like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and they would just get so pissed about that stuff. Um, but it was like one of those things. It's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And they were like, fix it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm fixing. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, that was a very, very interesting gig right there. Um, oh, yeah. And then from there, I ended up in uh, Indianapolis. Um, did not have right. a job or anything lined up over there. Um, moved there for other reasons and just got a job once I landed. And it was at the, the Ocean Air. Um, and they were building out right they were getting ready to open um so i was kind of a late hire to them as well and i was joined them as a saute cook um and i remember in the elevator with the chef and he's like you ever done any volume cooking and i instantly was like oh shit oh, <laughs> because i would kind of done some but not to the scale that we were about to do so um but ocean air i was as a saute cook man i got fucking my shit kicked in on a daily basis um, 
is a lot of that stuff is very saute heavy. Uh, you know, we'll do three pan pickups, pan sauces, all that fun stuff. And, um, I was fun. I mean, I, you, you definitely learn to cook differently when, when you're doing seafood. Um, there's a fuck ton more finesse that's involved. Um, your margin of error is much less. Um, and, and when it comes to like creating elements to go with seafood too, you also got to be much more careful because you can overpower fish very fast. Right. So, um, but you're also, we were creating for, you know, 500 cover nights, you know, and everything came in fresh. Everything was butchered in house. Um, you know, the, that was man, those butcher shifts sucked. Um, you know, and whenever the butcher was out, um, when I was finally a Sioux over there um, or a lead cook, I kept a, a duffel bag in the office, which is fucking long johns. Because the butcher, you worked, it was an eight to 10 hour shift in a walk-in. Oh. Right. And the butcher table and sink and all that stuff was in the walk-in. Um, so... Yeah, you, you learned to, and sometimes you'd be working and you'd see blood on your hand and you weren't sure where it came from. Like, did I cut myself? Was that, because, I mean, the fish have the blood and it's the same color and you're just like, oh, fuck, where did this come from? Because you couldn't feel your fingertips. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. That's cool as shit. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so I was there for about a year and a half, or no, close to three years, um, and just worked my way up through the ranks there, you know, from line cook, lead line, um, sous chef, exec sous. Um, I helped them open up the restaurant in San Diego as a saute trainer. Um, <laughs> that was fun. Um, but I, I was always very in- intense always very intense person. Um, and I'm a big guy. And so people have always been scared of me, which I'm just a fucking teddy bear. Right. Mm. But like any teddy bear, you just don't want to piss me off. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, there's a few times they're like, Hey dude, take it easy. We don't need these guys quitting yet. You know, but I was just like, dude, come on, you're getting ready to open. You know, and every time we'd fire something, they'd have to stop and look at their notes. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I've always been that way. Mike, just you got to start trusting yourself. You can't stop and look at your notes every time you got to do something. Right. Um, I, I mean, guess what? You're going to fuck up. I guarantee it. But that's also how you're going to learn. So, um, I mean, if you don't screw up, then you don't know how to fix anything because you've never screwed it up. And if you don't know how to fix it, then you're in worse shape than you've ever been in. Now you're going to have to rely on other people. Um, but anyway, so no. And then uh, I moved down from Indianapolis to Dallas when the exec position opened up. And so I was 29. I was the, the youngest exec in the company at that time. Um and they just said, fix it. Um, things were not as ocean air as they needed it to be. Right. That was the, the, the way they put it. Um, 
you know, they were they were burning stuff and sending out burnt stuff. And it's like, man, it's we're too high scale of a place and th- to be sending out food that's burnt. Um, and, and so I did, you know, and, and we kind of brought it back and we had a lot of fun. Um, and then the company itself started going through some hardships. Um, I was struggling as well with the company because just of my personality, my intensity. Um, and there was a, that, a lot of that, um, you know, why are you mad all the time kind of shit? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm making sure I'm heard. Um, you know, but I also didn't take shit. I did not take any shit from anybody. I had two brothers uh, that worked for me that got into a fight on the line on Mother's Day brunch. It was like one of the fucking two days of that year we did brunch. And they started to get into a fight on who was doing the poached eggs or whatever. And I fucking kicked them both off the line. I said, get the fuck out of here. Like, I just, I didn't take shit. Right. Um, that's part of, you know, uh, as a younger cook as well, in a lot of ways where uh, I believed in a lot more structure and a lot more, um, I don't want to say a lot more structure, but I, you know, structure needed to be there. You know, the level of fuck off, you can have fun, but at a certain point, hey, time to buckle up, time to be professional, right? Get your fucking head. Yeah, it's it's time to get your head in the game. Um, yeah. You know, you should always have your head in the game, right? Um, but there's times when you can be a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. Um, and that restaurant for the longest time was very, very relaxed. Um, you know, the GM, he made his decisions by whoever kicked up the most dust got the fucking candy. And that is not how I work. Um, whoever kicks up the most dust is most likely to get my fucking foot up their ass. Um, and, and so it just became a very confrontational environment for, for everybody. Um, so I left and got the opportunity to build out a restaurant down in Dallas, the Meddlesome Moth. Um, so I was the opening chef for that one. And that one was a lot of fun. Um, it was the f- first real ground up build that I've done where I was 100% had the input on on what was going on and working with the owners on, on creating the menu. Um, and then the actual physical that was, space. That was like a brew pub too, yeah. We didn't brew anything um, there. It was just, it was a beer centric, right? You know, we had like maybe 100 taps or something. Yeah, or 75. There was, there was a lot, right? Um, or 50, somewhere in that range. Um, somewhere in the range of just fuck, that's a lot, and damn, that's a lot, right? Um, and but it was all beer centric, right? You know, the very small wine list, people weren't drinking wine, they came there for the different beers. And we did beer dinners. Um, I did beer dinners with um, Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewing, met him, uh, fantastic guy. Um, Ken with Sierra Nevada, um, <laughs> and guys like Bob Ross. Um, he is very quiet and just, um, but that was cool because like, he's a very, he's very much a recluse. Right. Um, and so to get him out and do a dinner with him was a lot of fun. Um, Adam Avery, uh, from with Avery brewing, 
Um, so, I mean, we, we can go on and on, but at the time, this was 2010-ish, right? Uh, beer was a very big thing, and, and a lot of these big-name breweries were coming there, and they were coming to Dallas to do dinners with us. Like, they weren't hitting other places. Um, and, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, we were doing beer dinners all the time, so we were always creating. Uh, people would come to us and be like, hey, I want to do a, a, a beer dinner for 10 over in the private room kind of thing. It was like, cool, let's do it. Right. We did it. Um, and, uh, but that one was just, holy shit. Um, the kitchen was fucking tiny. I mean, it's, I mean, the size of a bedroom of a normal bedroom. I think it was at the, by the time it was all said and done, it was like 13 deep by like 18 wide or something. Um, and, but that was the prep kitchen too. Like once you go behind it where like, you know, where you'd think some prep and other stuff was going on. No, that was just a dishwasher. It wasn't big enough to do anything else with the space. Um, there's, it, it didn't even, there's no refrigeration back there either. Um, you know, I think there's maybe a couple countertops, you know, worktops. Um, but that's it. And, Dude, what from the time we opened the time we closed, it was packed. And it was we were losing cooks because it was too busy. Um, and because a lot of these guys are it's their second job, and it was just a fucking beating because the, the everybody knows the saying if you're not a day ahead, you're a day behind, right? On your prep, right? So all the prep you're doing today should be to set you up tomorrow so you're not behind, right? You're you're always working that day ahead. Well, at the end of the yeah. night, yeah, it, we we would have no product left, you know, because we weren't allowed to 86 stuff. And, and so many times we were making stuff to order. And so by the end of the night, like everything's just cleaned out, like the walk-ins empty. I mean, we were getting deliveries daily um, just because one, our walk-in was fucking tiny as shit. Um, is these guys, they had done bars. All they had done before was bars. So this was their first restaurant. I was their first chef. And they're like, this isn't a bar. This isn't a restaurant. This is a bar. We're only going to do about 40%, 30% food out of here anyway. So that's what they built for. Um, even though there is a reservation system and a hostess and everything that a restaurant has, bars don't. So they call it a restaurant now, but I think it took them like 10 years. Uh, um, but no, and I mean, we, that thing just kicked ass from the day it opened, you know, we were in the running for, um, best new restaurant. Um, we lost out. I think we essentially just came in second place for that. Um, but that was kind of a pretty cool thing to do. Um, but we were also, we wanted to try to be more, I don't want to say edgy, but aggressive with the food. Right. Um, you know, and, you know, I was probably one of the first places really that we had bone marrow, sweet breads. Um, I'm trying to remember other stuff we were playing with lamb's tongue. Like those were all on your appetizer list, N not like separately, but like on the same day, like this was, you want the sweet breads, the, you know, the marrow or, you know, the lamb's tongue. And, um, 
and but we wanted to be kind of aggressive um, in that that means of just kind of um, bringing new foods to Dallas that weren't necessarily scary. I mean, the rest of the world was eating it, but hey, kind of get people involved in it, and and they did really well. Um, all the you know, it was definitely one of those people were getting stuff just to fucking you know, hey, I bet you can't eat this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden they were fucking loving it. You know, it was like dealing with like fucking 30 year old fucking children. Um, I was like, just eat it. I know you're going to like it. Oh, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I love that scene when people would say something like, oh, it's actually pretty good. Oh, so you expected it to suck. No, that's not what I said. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. You expected it to suck. And because you, it was actually good, um, but no, that was that was the moth was great, um, and creating a lot of attention for myself, um, kind of gave me onto the the chef list of Dallas, if you will, um, just because I was more aggressive with food and we were having fun, um, but it got to the point where every time one of the owners would come in, I just saw red. All I could see was myself just grabbing him by the throat. Um, and, and it sucks because he's a good person. Um, and I learned a lot from him. But it was just our relationship had come to an end. Um, and, and so I moved on. I was going to actually open up my own place at that point. And we had scouted the properties. We had a signed lease. Uh, my wife is an architect. And so the firm she was with, we had set plans that cost us nothing, right? We had the full plans, um, everything you need to do a build out. And uh, we even had some investors lined up. Um, and then it just got to the point after six months of dealing with the landlords in the city, um, it was it was no longer feasible for us to continue um, because it was just more political shit involved. And it was like, well, I can't just sit here and wait for you guys to work out the politics. So, um, what area was it in? Uh, Lois Greenville. Cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, that area is popping now, but it was, yeah. it was, we went into it back when. So, that area is, it was a ton of clubs at one point. Um, yeah. and or I was mostly just bars. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's surrounded by, neighborhoods, family neighborhoods all around it. And so they finally just went in <clears throat> after, you know, lots of, you know, police activity. Um, you know, one of the bar owners was, you know, I don't know. They caught him with like a fucking trunk full of drugs and some other stuff. I don't remember all the details. And he was selling out of the club. Um, so they pretty much went in and, put in an ordinance that no bars could be open past like I was like oh, 10 or 11, um, you know, when it was like most of those places didn't open until like 10 um, or whatever it was. And so they, you had to apply for a special permit to, if you wanted to be open past, you know, until two o'clock. Right. And just everything that came in there, like denied, denied, you know, so they ran everybody out. Um, and, but the city was working on revamping that whole area and we we're like, Hey, timing's there. And we're the kind of restaurant that is going to fit what you're looking for. 
you know, we're not going to be a, a family restaurant necessarily. Like we're not going to have a fucking playground in the back, but you got kids. Come yeah. on in, you know, yeah, we can cater the, you know, to just, uh, we wanted to build like a neighborhood restaurant, you know, just your neighborhood bistro kind of thing. Um, and, but that just all fell through. So, um, and, but during that time though, I started working with, um, a place called the grape and been there for about 40 years, I think. Um, and the chef that was running it, Brian was just known as like the chef's chef. And I was only working there kind of part-time, um, you know, picking up grill shifts kind of thing. And God, I fucking loved it is it took me back into and reminded me how much I just love to cook is I got so caught up in management and running things and, and other stuff that I f- kind of forgot what it was to love cooking. So, um, and then after that, you know, that was a short period of time. And then, uh, my daughter was getting close to being born. And then I was like, well, I kind of need to have a real paycheck. Um, and, and then I ended up at uh, another, um, Dallas institution, Cafe Pacific. Um, the same thing that had been there for, I think it's been there since 1980. And they brought me on and they're like, Hey, we need to kind of bring in some new energy, some fresh life. And, and that's, that's what I did. We went in, um, reformatted the entire menu. The, I mean, when I was there, when I got there, and 2012, the menu folders or whatever it is were the same ones that they'd used from 1980. Wow. Right. And I mean, yeah, they weren't updating anything. So we, we went in and updated everything, changed up some wineless stuff and just made it much more presentable, presentable, kind of gave it a steakhouse feel, but with the seafood presentation, um, and and then it was, you know, it, it started doing much better. Um, it was still and still has a very old clientele. Um, he got to meet a lot of rich Dallas money. Um, you know, the owner would be like, man, there's like four billionaires in here right now. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then from there I ended up at um, – uh, working with you. And it was actually because of the moth. Um, because the guys were like, like, they, they specifically said, Hey, we want to do the moth, but up here. And, uh, the guy they were talking to the recruiter was like, Hey, I know a guy. So he gave me a call and I was like, okay, let's do it. When you signed on for that, was there, was the idea just to do the one restaurant or was it, pretty laid out that we're going to do multiple concepts right off the bat. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Um, they, I knew they wanted to do multiple concepts. There was like, Hey, we're, we're hiring you to do this one concept. And, um, but there's potential to do some other stuff. Right. They wanted to kind of feel me out a little bit, I which makes sense. Um, but before we even got the first one open, they had me on a plane out to fucking Seattle to go test drive and learn how to use these pizza ovens for this other restaurant they were working on. And so it was like, well, shit. All right. 
I guess that test drive's over. Um, you know, because before the first one was open, I was already working on the second restaurant. Yeah. So. Well. That's um, my story. I'm sticking to it. What about what happened there and since then? You want to touch on that? What happened there? Uh, I, I mean, I feel like you're fishing for something here. Um, what are you fishing for? Well, there's a reason we're talking on this podcast right now, right? You're not still in the kitchen. Well, yeah. Um, no, I, I retired from the kitchen, from restaurants. I said to, from the kitchen, really, two years ago. And... Um, you know, I, I don't want to say that the, it was the restaurants that did it to me. Um, it was me that did it to me. Um, it just happened to be where I was at and in the timing of it all. Um, I've, my personality is very much head down, let's go. You know, you can either follow me or I just can run you the fuck over. Um, and that personality still exists today, very much so. Um, and, but I didn't have like an on and off switch necessarily. Um, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have different gears. I couldn't downshift um, as much as I would try. And, but I always took a lot of responsibility, uh, making sure that people were taken care of as well. So when COVID hit and we laid off, I forget what the final number was, but it was several hundred people. Um, even though it had no, even though I had no impact on that, right? It wasn't, we didn't lay anybody off because of any decision that I made, right? I mean, this was just happening nationwide. Um, but I felt a lot of pressure. I, I felt a lot of, responsibility. Um, and you know, it was kind of a weird sense of failure and responsibility of like, okay, how do I get these people back to work now? Um, and, and then at that point, like, I didn't even know how long I was going to have a job for. I, I mean, I, I went through and we laid some people off and, and then it was like, okay, now what? Um, you know, and we went right back to getting things open and I just worked nonstop at that point, just trying to figure out how we could reopen each concept in a drive through format. Right. And because, and luckily by the time we got to the last one, things were opening up a little bit more. I mean, it was still hard. Um, but we were also faced with the challenge of, how do we also keep numbers down? Like we're not going to have the volume. So how do we, uh, you know, I don't want to say it, you know, but it was, there was a lot of like, how do we take shortcuts? And, and I just, I was not vibing with that. And so, and I wasn't, um, and, and that was kind of annoying some people. Um, but they're letting me do my thing. Um, 
but the other part that was a challenge for me is <clears throat> they, I wasn't getting a lot of feedback from anywhere else. So I spent probably, God, I don't know, maybe close to a year, right? Eight months, not knowing if I was going to be fired tomorrow. Um, and that kind of weighed on me a little bit. Um, but it was like, okay, fuck it. Let's just keep going. Um, and then finally got to the point where my body just broke, uh, mentally and physically it just broke. Um, and then, so this is during COVID and <clears throat> it kind of sucks because they just instantly, everything was just COVID then. If you had something, I mean, yeah, you're, yeah. dude, you had if COVID. You at all, looked at you real weird. Oh man, yeah. I mean, it's just you kind of had like a like, uh oh, COVID, right? And yeah. uh, hear me shove something up your fucking nose and see if you got COVID. Um, man, I've had some brutal COVID tests, but um, and so next thing you know, I'm, I'm you know, locked up in my room and um. And, and, but I wasn't getting any better. And so, um, one did a COVID test a couple of days go by. It's negative talking to me, still have a bunch of the symptoms of, of how I'm feeling, go back, take another COVID test. And I, I drive up to the COVID test because everything was drive through at that point. Still like the nurse was out there and this was my, my doctor's office. The one I was going to, I wasn't going to like another just clinic or something. I went to the people I knew. And she's like, you look like shit. And I was like, thank you. And so does the COVID test. And she's like, hey, I'll be right back. And goes and grabs some other stuff, grabs my blood pressure, does the pulse ox and all that stuff. And my blood pressure was like, I don't remember what it was, but it was low. Um, And my pulse ox was really low. So my oxygen in my blood was low. My blood pressure was low. Um, apparently I was really white and I just had the, these cold sweats going on. Um, but I felt normal, right? I could, I was functioning. I was like, when you, I know I'm like, I just, I feel a little crappy, but I'm just, and she's like, you need to get to the ER now. She's like, do you need me to call someone to come get you? Uh, I, and all of a sudden I just, this panic set in. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, no, I can get there. Um, but so I drove over to the ER and they, they checked me in and obviously, so I go in and there's like, you have to check in out front and like, no, I'm here because yada, yada, yada. Next thing I know, like they've got like this fucking armband on me and then people are coming out like hazmat suits and shit they just take me into this like fucking room. And it was just like, damn. Um, but I mean, it was all precaution. I get it. Um, uh, and fucking did a rotor job on my nose just to fucking get a COVID sample. I mean, my nose was bleeding for a couple minutes after this COVID test. And the guy was like, a COVID test is only as good as a swab. And I was like, damn. Um, and, uh, and then so within an hour or two later, that comes back negative still. So hazmat suits come off. They start doing blood cultures, blood work. They come in. Uh, they had me do an x-ray. Then they took me in for a CT scan of my lungs. Um, they had me on oxygen the whole time. And over the period of about six hours, my oxygen and, and blood pressure slowly 
recovered. And, and so I was there for, for about six hours getting fluids and oxygen. And so the nurse comes in, he's like, so the doctor tell you what happens if this comes back positive? I'm like, no. And this is before the, you know, he's like, yeah. So if the, you come back positive, we're sending you to this hospital over here in Plano. And it was, this was also during the time where if you were admitted to a hospital, you didn't leave. Um, and then it was like, well, shit, if I would have known this, I want to fucking come here. <laughs> um, and then, but my oxygen wasn't recovering either. So finally blood, everything are like, okay, we're not going to admit you with COVID. You're not getting transferred anywhere, but we couldn't get my oxygen up. And so they're like, okay, we're going to admit you for that. And I was like, fuck. Um, because I was like, well, it's very dangerous because your body will essentially just start doing a lot of damage. And, um, but anyway, so finally they got to the point where they're like, okay, we're going to let you go. I think they just didn't want to admit me. Um, but if you ever start feeling X, Y, Z, come back immediately. I was like, sure, not going to happen. Um, and, and then, um, but that was it. And then shortly after that, a couple of weeks after that, my wife and I decided to take a vacation. Like we just need to get away. Um, and, uh, and we did, we ended up at, up in Colorado Estes park and, uh, Rocky mountain national park had just reopened and we were up there with my family and it was great. Just got grounded. I'm very much one of those people that I just, I'm not a hippie kind of thing, but there's something about being out in a forest. It's just, it's, you know, the vitamin D, the sun the energy, like you just, it, it helps reground you. And I just felt better. Um, just, and it came back after about a week and felt good. Went back to work, came home that day. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And, um, and so we started talking about it. And the reason for that is I knew that if I kept going back that I would put myself right back to where I started because I didn't have that. I didn't have that control. Um, and two, I didn't have, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but just my work ethic and, and who I was. Um, and I didn't have the, the resources outside of work to kind of control stress. Right. And so I would have just put myself right back to where I started. I mean, I, I would have been burned out again. I would have just had the short fuse um, and it would have happened really quick. And I saw that and I was just like, this isn't for me. Um, and and then at that point, just more things started happening. Um, this is probably, I would say, maybe August or something of, of twenty. Um, and then October of that year, my dad passed, um, natural causes wasn't COVID. Um, he actually just said, I'm done. Um, he'd been in locked up for a while, not locked up. Like, you know, he was in, uh, in a home, but nobody could go visit him. Uh, so he just refused meds and just kind of checked out. Um, and then six weeks after that, my father-in-law passed away from COVID related symptoms the day after Thanksgiving. Um, 
And then it was just all this stuff was going on and then people were passing away that were close. And it was like, yeah, we're making the right decision. Um, and also as luckily my wife has got a great career. Um, and she was with a firm that really appreciated her and was helping her grow. And so if it wasn't for her being in the position where she was at, it would have been a much harder decision for us to make. Yeah. Um, but we, I mean, we went from a two income household down to one, but that one income was still solid enough, right? We, yeah, we still need to make some adjustments and we're working through that. We had some money in the bank, um, but that's kind of drying up. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, so that just made that decision. It's like, okay, let's step away. We'll figure out what we're going to do. Um, but first things first is like, let's start getting healthy-ish, right? Um, but my wife, her thing too was she did not want me just to completely walk away from restaurants. She's like, there's no way you can. There's no way you can completely walk away from um, just cooking. And the other part she put, she's like, we've also invested too much in you and kind of building a brand for myself in the Dallas area um, to just give that all up. So it's like, what a, you know, we need to kind of make sure we stay involved in, in that. So that that's kind of where Chef Made Home then came along. Now I'm that's here it. today. Correct. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean that sounds long winded to some, but that's the short story too. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode on season two and learning a hell of a lot more about me than you probably realized you wanted to know. And next up, we're going to be talking a little bit about Morris and more detail um, of his growth. And then we'll kind of we, we start tying that together in the next episode. All right. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Chad Kelly with Josh Morris. This is Inside the Pressure Cooker.